Welcome to Writer Writer Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. We also cover craft, the agent hunt, query trenches, publishing industry, marketing, and more. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com. And make sure to visit the Writer Writer Pants on Fire blog for additional interviews, query critiques, and more at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. The Family Dragon Slayer Podcast, a Dungeons and Dragons actual role-playing podcast where the main crew are all family living under one roof. We use our family day together to role-play, have fun, and upload it all for your enjoyment. Our family dynamic comes across to the listener. Hear the contrast between our real-life dynamic and the in-game dynamic. The Family Dragon Slayer Podcast. Make your pages look professional with vellum. Margins, headers, page numbering, font, line spacing all happen automatically with every book you create. Generate ebooks for Kindle, Apple Books, Kobo, and others, or deliver a beautiful print book to your readers. Visit trivellum.com forward slash pants to learn more. Vellum. Create beautiful books. We're here with Abigail Dean, author of Girl A. It covers so many different topics, but specifically the main character is a survivor of a really shocking case of child abuse who escapes and then as an adult has to return when her mother dies and makes the main character Lex the executor of her will. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about the book, Girl A? So yeah, Girl A is Lex Gracie. Um, she is the survivor. She's the woman kind of summoned back 15 years after this escape that she's made from her parents' house, which becomes kind of known as the House of Horrors in the press. Lex is really a character who, in a way, she wants to be known as anything other than Girl A. Um, that's almost become a kind of millstone to her, this association with her parents. Almost this heroic image has, has become something she's just desperate to, to get away from. And when she's summoned back to deal with her mother's will, she's also dealing with the fact that she's being left in the House of Horrors along with her siblings in her mother's will. That's kind of what prompts this reconnection with her siblings. She grew up with six brothers and sisters, and they suffered this shared childhood, which was a childhood of trauma. Gurley, I think to me, really deals with sort of resurrecting those old battles and alliances um, that the siblings developed in the house really just seeing how they translate into adulthood and how each of the siblings has both coped and failed to cope, I guess, um, with what happened to them. I'm currently reading a book, not to change the subject too quickly, but I think it could tie into a book that I'm reading right now that's called The New Evil. And it's very much a, like a psychological textbook, but it's all about understanding 
modern violent crime, specifically 1960s and forward. Child abuse is not a new crime. This is something that uh, has always gone on. But I think our understanding and the public perception of the damage Mm -hmm. that is done to children in these situations has changed. Like we've come to understand that these adults may not be fully functioning or may have some real trauma and triggers in their adult lives as well. So I think it's interesting to talk about that and the disparate ways that some of your characters have healed or failed to heal, as you say. In this book that I'm reading called The New Evil, they talk about the fact that pretty much without exception, very few exceptions, serial killers typically suffered some sort of abuse in childhood. You can almost count on it. However, not every child that is abused in childhood grows up to be a serial killer. So if you could talk a little bit more about like the coping mechanisms and the, the way that Lex has performed better or worse than some of her siblings as an adult. I think that's exactly right in terms of these kind of very interesting and very, very tragic as well kind of studies and and greater understanding into what actually causes crime, I think, are just really valuable. And definitely something I was thinking about in kind of creating Girl A, I think, especially in the context of juxtaposing the sort of past and what happened to the different siblings with who they've become in the present, um, kind of 15 years later, not all of them have become particularly sympathetic characters. One of the reasons that I kind of wanted to move quite a lot between the present and the past um, in, in writing the book is I think it kind of sets a challenge in terms of your sympathies, because certainly with some of the characters, and I, I'm probably thinking especially of Lex's older brother, Ethan, he's a really difficult adult. He's very, very difficult to like, can be kind of extremely unpleasant. <laughs> a lot of people have said to me, oh, you know, he, he's kind of the real villain of the novel. And, and I, I kind of question that because as a child, he's so sympathetic and he, he does his best to kind of stick up against his father. That was one of the reasons for the sort of structure of the book in terms of the very close passages of, of the past and present focusing on each of the siblings. I I always like to think that I would have coped with Lex's kind of grace in a way. You know, she's very kind of resilient. She's an incredibly sort of strong, dry, humorous character in many ways. She she sees the world with with a kind of very wry sense of humor. Um, but, But I'm not sure, you know, going through what the characters in the book do go through, I'm certainly not sure if I would have come out with Lex's perspective on life. And it, it was a question I kept kind of thinking as I as I was writing the book, you know, well, would I have been the Lex or would I be more like Ethan, who is very questionable, or, or, or Lex's younger brother, Gabriel, who, who just really struggles through life and is kind of as much a victim outside of the house in a way as he was within it. I'm a writer as well. And whenever I teach any writing workshops, I always tell my students and my audience that everyone and your characters, of course, this applies to them, but you can move the lesson into real life. Everyone is the way they are for a reason. And everyone is also the hero of their own narrative. And that is something we really struggle with sometimes because I'm like, even the worst person that you know, is the hero in their story. 
when I'm talking to my students, when we're doing any sort of writing workshop, I always ask them to consider whose story are you the villain in? Because you are. To someone, you are a bad person. I know whose villains I am. And so I think it's an interesting way to really make people consider when you're building your characters, not to create a mustache twirling villain. I, I love that idea that, that you know, everybody is hero of their own narrative. I, I really agree with it. And I think that, that that kind of in building characters in a way is what's going to make them most alive. And to me, that always seems to be the, the kind of key thing, you know, above having particular characters who you think will elicit sympathy. It's more just about creating people who feel incredibly real to you as a writer and to the reader. Um, I, I know that I sort of become really obsessed with the characters, kind of end up thinking about them almost all the time and their relationship dynamics with, with one another, which I think was one of the real joys of, of writing Girl A, was creating those kind of sibling relationships. And yeah, I think you, you see in that those dialogue um, scenes as well, exactly that, that each of the children believes that they have handled things in the right way. And so did you do any research about childhood trauma or about different psychological responses for each different character? Yeah, I did. And I did especially in relation to um, Gabriel and Delilah's characters. So in terms of Delilah, sort of some reading around um, Stockholm Syndrome and how that can develop for people who have been in, in, in the kind of incredibly sort of high stress, um, traumatic situations that, that she has lived through. Um, and then also in relation to Gabriel, who, who ha- suffers from these uh, kind of rages that he can't control, you know, almost kind of a physical residual response to his anger and his sort of frustration from being in the house. I did some reading in, into the psychology behind the characters, um, but at the same time, I, I kind of want there to be a question as well around how much of these characters is entirely formed by their childhood. To what extent would they have been like that anyway, to some degree? Because you know? I think you, you see sort of little glimpses of the characters, even as children, maybe. But before that, you know, they, they kind of go through this these traumatic events. And so I wanted that to be kind of a lingering question as well. And for it to, to be kind of, in a way, I guess, slightly more ambiguous, I guess, than a sort of cause and effect case. PubSite is the new, easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 50, PubSite gives you the tools to build, design, and update your website pain-free. Build your site with a 14-day free trial. PubSite is easy to use. You can set up a simple site within a couple of hours, and when you're ready, enhance with features like a blog, photo gallery, book tour calendar, mailing list sign-up, social media feeds, and more. Too busy to build your own site? Have a PubSite expert build your site for a small fee. PubSite is used by authors such as Tom Clancy, Robin Cook, and Janet Daly. Visit PubSite.com to get started now. So let's talk about you yourself. You actually have a day job as a lawyer for Google. So 
What made you decide to go this creative route? In a way, I think some of it was sort of a product of, of where I was at the end of my 20s. I didn't used to work at Google. I, I used to work in a law firm. It was a kind of incredibly intense lifestyle, um, kind of like Lex's lifestyle in Gurley to, to, to a huge degree. Um, so a lot of kind of airport lounges and meeting rooms and sort of, you know, sleepless night. I'd lived like that for kind of six years or so, but they were kind of bulk of my 20s. And I think I sort of started approaching 30 and I really felt like I'd let go of this thing, writing, that as a teenager, as a child, had been this huge part of my life. Um, it had been kind of an absolute love. I tried to write novels then and I tried to, I wrote loads of fan fiction and I think I was a bit shocked to find that I'd neglected it. And I think that sort of coincided with a realization that I wasn't particularly um, happy day to day in my job, that I didn't really have time for a lot of the things um, that I, I just loved doing. I actually took three months um, out. I, I left my job um, in a law firm and took three months out to start writing Girl A and then joined Google at the end of that three month period. This role um, in, in Google kind of allows me to, to do both. Like it allows me to write in the evenings while at the same time, it really enjoying a legal job as well. I kind of find that the two things complement each other quite a lot in terms of um, that sort of scrutiny of language, you know, deciding the weight behind each word and and the sort of impact of it and, and you know, questioning whether there'll be any ambiguity behind it. I kind of see quite a lot of similarity in terms of law and writing in that respect, I think. Mm -hmm. um, just the sort of power of words, I guess. That makes some sense. I really like it because um, I, of course, have no legal background. But when I am writing, I am weighing every word. If I use this one as opposed to that one, does it change the flavor of the sentence? And how does that affect the paragraph? And so on and so forth. So yeah, that's a really interesting parallel. You also worked as a bookseller at a point in your life. I've been a librarian for 14 years, so it's similar. I'm always pitching books to people, trying to talk them into take this one, take this one. You'll like this yeah. one. Thinking about that then as being a bookseller, what about that job did you love and what kinds of books were, were your favorites? And if you were pitching your own book, if you were hand selling your book, how would you do that? How would I do it? Um, I loved the job. And I think the, the very sort of best thing was just talking to customers about books, especially I think talking to like child customers about books, because um, I think children were just sort of uniquely excited to be in a bookstore. I, I still remember really vividly working the launch of the last Harry Potter book. Oh, and wow. um, I just remember the sort of joy of these uh, kids and teenagers who queued, you know, since 10 p.m. And then we opened the store at midnight and they kind of like flooded in wearing amazing costumes. Um, so, so there was just a real kind of joy, I think, in sharing experiences of, of books, whether it was an event like that or just chatting to some of the people who were became regular customers. I'm sure you find this as a librarian as well, Mindy. People coming in and saying they enjoyed a book that you recommended. Mm -hmm. um, it's just like a real, it gives you a kind of glow, I guess. In real life, when you, when you do matchmaking and you're like, yeah, 
I have a unique matchmaker resume. Everybody I've ever introduced got married, but they also got divorced. (laughs) (laughs) And with a book, you don't have that risk. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, that's a legal entanglement. It was great. And if I was selling Girl A, I, I think I would say you might read the, the back and think, oh, this this could be a, a kind of dark story. But I'd also say I think it's really a book about family relationships and a book about kind of a huge amount of hope, I think, face of of something traumatic. Um, so yeah, that it's about strength and resilience and hope. Those would be the kind of attributes that I would talk about if I was behind the tail. You've had some tremendous success already here with Girl A, which I should add, it has released here in the United States. It was on sale February 2nd, but it is one of the most anticipated books of 2021 from Marie Claire, O Magazine, Good Housekeeping, Lit Hub. Uh, It's sold in international auction and it's sold in 25 territories. So a division of Sony preempted TV rights for a series with the director from HBO's Chernobyl attached to it. This is your debut novel, I should add. So you have come out of the gates running. So is there anything about the success that has set you back a little? Has it surprised you? And does it feel... (laughs) I know... Many people that I talk to who have had a debut that really blew everything else out of the water are like, oh, shit, what do I write next? (laughs) (laughs) I I am definitely surprised. I I am hugely surprised. I think kind of it's just a very um, surreal thing when this dream that you had as kind of a kid actually starts to happen. I think I kind of potentially still in a bit of a state of shock about the whole thing. My agent had some really amazing advice for me just as Girl A was was sold. And she essentially said, um, look, you know, before it is published, get as far with your next book um, as you can so that you don't have that kind of self-doubt and that sort of second guessing and um you know, just try and plow on (laughs) with that second book. And so that advice, I think, was really, really helpful. Um, Because although I've not finished my second book, I've I've kind of made a lot of headway with it. And I'm sort of, um, a a first draft is nearly in place. So I think that was really helpful advice, because otherwise, there'd be a, a kind of much more intense kind of pressure. And yeah, I think, of course, it changes things. Because Writing Girl A was done in such kind of isolation. The objective was just to see if I could write a novel and mm-hmm. and finish it, you know, maybe self-publish it, get it published um, if, if things went well. That that was, I think, the extent of, uh, of the ambition behind it. Um, so, so, yeah, it, it is definitely different writing with a deadline and, and writing with some expectations. But um, I think the nice thing is that a lot of the writing of my second novel was done before Girl A um, went, went out into the world. Let's see. I think I have 10 books out now and um, another one coming out in 2022. You do get into a pattern of trying to get the next one as far along as possible particularly if you're writing in a series, because I had the experience of working on a second book, knowing that the first one had not done well at all. That was very difficult because I'm trying to deliver a good 
product and write a good book for the few people that did read the first one. But at the same time, really just kind of working out of a sense of, well, I know very, very few people are going to read this because very, very, very few people read the first one. So that can create a vacuum kind of in which you're you're trying to write and be hopeful and wish all the good things that you can for this manuscript. But knowing that uh, typically in publishing, you lose 40% of your readers from the first book, only 60% pick up the second. And knowing what those numbers already look like, that was difficult. And, and it just seems, I think, writers in general are, there's so much self-doubt, self-criticism anyway. <laughs> like, even sort of writing with, with zero expectations and with zero pressure, there's still sort of self-doubt. Um, I, I think it's, it's that kind of slight cliche of feeling self-doubt and doing it anyway. Um, it seems to be the only way to keep going. Is, is that how you overcame it, Mindy? Yeah. You, uh, yeah, well, yeah. that and you know, I had a contract to fill, so like, <laughs> you know, I, I had to finish the book, and it's like I'm not going to put something half-assed out there. It's like I'm going to write this book, and you know, sadly enough, it was a fantasy series that I wrote that did not sell well, and sadly enough, I feel like it's some of my best work. Just the challenge of the genre and the multiple POVs I was writing. It was work. Uh, they are the longest books I have ever written, and they are the most complicated plot-wise that I have ever written, and they are the least read. So I put <laughs> the most amount of like real work into those books. I could feel myself stretching my skills and my bounds as a writer, and being like, "Wow, like you're really doing something with this." But you know, nobody cared, and that's that's a risk that you take every time, and it's something you. Published or unpublished, but being unpublished is much more. My fifth novel was the first one that got picked up. So, you know, writing something that you're fully aware no one may ever read, that's that's tough. And you're talking about self-doubt. You're so right. I have a book coming out in about two weeks. And um, I'm so, I finished it, you know, turned it in. And even while I was writing it, I'm like, this is awesome. This is This is good. This is like my best work has great critical reviews and uh, has been, you know, picked for book of the month for different things. And um, I substitute now. I'm no longer a librarian in the, in the uh, school districts, but I substitute, which has been pretty much a full-time job lately. Um, and the other day I had a group that like, I couldn't get them settled. And I was like, Hey, I just got my author copies of my new book. You want me to, <laughs> to read you guys? And they were like, Oh yeah, cool. Right. So I started reading it and I was sitting up there and I hadn't touched this material in, you know, probably six months. So I'm sure. sitting up in front of them and I start reading from my book that comes out in two weeks. And I'm like, this is, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just yeah. like, what was I thinking? You know? And meanwhile, everyone that most, everyone that has read it, like it has great early reviews and, and everybody's like, Oh, this is so great. And I, as soon as I, as the author, start participating in a public forum i'm just like oh my god this is embarrassing <laughs> i think it's sadie smith who said that in a way once the novel is published you're kind of free to hate it it doesn't really belong to you anymore and you only need to love it for a very short amount of time enough to press send 
I don't know anybody who kind of looks back at their work and thinks, oh, I mean, every sentence that was that was just immaculate. Yeah, <laughs> and no. that's quite comforting, I think, that, that actually there's some freedom there. And actually, that's the point when you can't do anything about it. So you, by then, you're, it's actually okay to it's okay to have the doubt. It's okay to have the hatred. It's done. <laughs> done. You can't do anything about it. Yeah, there is some uh, comfort in helplessness. <laughs> And I will say my older novels, because, you know, I, I've been writing for since like 20, been publishing since 2013. So some of my older novels, when I read them aloud, I truly am a better writer now than I was when I wrote them. So I tell audiences if I do a reading, which I don't do that often, but I tell audiences, you know, if you're interested to see how I would write this now, follow along because I edit as I'm reading aloud my older books now, I change things. Like, no, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So yeah. it's interesting. Last thing, let listeners know where they can find the book, Girl A, and also where they can find you online. So my website is abigail-dean.com. Um, you can find kind of upcoming events there and some kind of blog posts that I've done in partnership with my editor and agent. And I'm Abigail S. Dean on Twitter and Instagram. So feel free to, um, to say hi. Girl A uh, is out. It's available online in most booky, well, most booky places. Um, I, I know that independent bookshops in particular have had a rough time over the last year. And you can certainly order it from your local independent bookshop. Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. Don't forget to check out the blog for additional interviews, writing advice, and publication tips at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar. <laughs>